Hello, everyone, and welcome back to part two of episode eight of Navigating Business, a business podcast hosted by the U.S. Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce through the Community Navigator Pilot Program of the Small Business Administration. My name is Jeff Bautista, Program Director of the Asian Business Association of Orange County, and we will be continuing our conversation with Chatel Desai, the President of the Southeast Chapter of the U.S. PAC, an attorney and managing partner at the Trusted Lawyers. I definitely see the value in that, but let's take a quick spin on it and maybe look at it from you know, the, the, the pessimistic side of things. Sure, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, I guess what I'm going to ask next is what are the potential consequences then of signing a contract? So what's like the bad side of signing something without having done all this review and this like due diligence? Well, ignorance of the law is not a defense. So if mm. you sign something and say, well, I didn't know that that was a law or I didn't know what I signed, it doesn't hold up anywhere. If you sign it, it's assumed that you understood what you signed. So it's important to review it before you sign it. You know, don't blindly sign things because you're, you're going to be bound to them. And it's, it's not an excuse. You know, in court, if you go and say, well, I didn't really understand. I don't speak good English or I didn't understand what the terms meant. It's not a legal defense. The judge may feel sorry for you, but there's nothing they can do about it. You know, once you sign it, it's signed. So again, it, you know, once you sign it, <laughs> you're out of luck. So yeah. make sure you review it before. Yeah, I mean... I mean, other repercussions to signing is obviously you're bound by the terms of the contract, you know, whatever it says and whatever it unfolds later on when you do figure out what you signed, <laughs> you're bound to. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, it makes a lot of sense, especially when, you know, it, it is something very significant on the line. Like if there is a big monetary dispute, sure. you know, and sure. so you're, you're. Your loss at that point is like, you know, you, you have no case and you're going to lose out on whatever you're going to have to be on the hook for. So right. that is a huge consequence, especially yeah. if it's, you know, like you said, I just I just put together a whole order of, you know, like 200,000 pieces of this part and right. it's shipped and you're not going to pay me. And right. And because you're going to say, well, you signed contract. this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you know, and then you could litigate about it. See, the legal world is much better off on the preventative end, you know. By, by mm-hmm. making sure the contract is good. If you're reactive to it, and let's say you signed that contract, you got this all this order shipped and now they cancel it, now you have to be reactive and maybe file a lawsuit. And it's way more expensive on that end. And there's a probability, there's a chance you're gonna lose. So, you know, it's just, it, it's like penny wise pound foolish, right? So if you can spend a little bit upfront, you will save yourself a whole lot of headache later on. But it's, it's hard to see that all the time, especially when you're struggling new business and. You can't see why you should spend any more money than what you've already invested in it. Yeah, right. Oh, gosh. So I'm going to try to dig a little bit deeper. So this is going to get into some stuff. So are there any specific laws or regulations that business owners should be aware of when entering into contracts, such as, you know, consumer protection laws, antitrust laws, contract law principles, some of these things that they may have heard of? So consumer protection is not typically available for business owners. That's for consumers. So like if you buy, you know, something at McDonald's and something goes awry or whatever, you have different rights there. As a business, courts typically look at business contracts as much more strict. So it's not in either business owner's favor. Because you, because you're a business, it's automatically assumed that you're more savvy than the average consumer is. So there are no business protection laws the same way as you'll find in consumer law. Like in consumer law, you're allowed to break a contract in three days in a lot of states, right? You have like 72 hours to get out of a contract. 
not so much in the business world. <laughs> you signed it, you're oh. done. There's not a whole lot of recourse, you know? So it's very different. Yeah, you know, I always go back to leases because I feel like it's kind of a common thread between a lot of businesses. But even in lease law, in, in most courts, the consumer leases are far more strict and, and I guess I would say beneficial to the tenant. In commercial lease law, not so much, you know? It's kind of a free-for-all. It's mm -hmm. like you, whatever you sign for is what you get, you know? The court's not going to interfere so much. They kind of stick to mm -hmm. the contracts and, and and go that way. So there are some laws as far as like antitrust and things like that, but a lot of them don't really apply to small businesses. It's usually on a sure. much larger scale of, of things that are going on. So most small businesses probably won't benefit from any kind of, you know, any overreaching laws that are specifically set out to protect them. Mm -hmm. So if I were to go then as a small business owner into a law office and I needed help regarding any, you know, specifically like real estate or some of my business, am I, am I seeking out like an, like someone who specializes in real estate or someone who specializes in contract? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, think of it like a doctor, you know, if you've got something, you know, on your, on your hand, like something, a rash, then you're not going to go to a cardiologist, right? You're going to go to a skin doctor, mm. like a dermatologist. So similarly in law, there's lots of different fields. There are some generalities, like there are like business lawyers, there are like litigation lawyers, but usually in the business world, I would say the important types of lawyers to seek out are probably going to be business lawyers, maybe corporate lawyers, business litigation attorneys, and maybe like employment attorneys. If, if you've got employment issues and things like that. But that's kind of like the the umbrella you want to stick to. There are some general practitioners that are, are savvy in small business issues or can help you with basic things like setting up an LLC or an operating agreement and things like that. But you wouldn't go to like a divorce attorney, you know, for, for business matters. <laughs> it's just, you know, you'd be All better right. served <laughs> going to somebody who specializes in that area. Yeah. And, and I think that makes sense, but I think it's important to hear because, you know, some people, you know, even, even go down the route of do it yourself thing because they, they have yes. legal zoom available to me. Yes. Or yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And not to knock legal zoom or anything. I mean, it's out there and it's better than nothing, but the problem is that if you don't understand the language and you're just plugging and chugging, it's no better than like you writing on a napkin, you know, and just having both people sign it. At least in that instance, you write down what your understanding is. In a legal Zoom contract, you're just blindly inputting stuff without really even knowing what the contract says. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I would, I would say at the very least, even if it's in your own chicken scratch, write something down as far as what the, what the two parties are understanding and what they're you know, what it is that they want to do for each other and what the understanding is, at least write that down. That's something that is better than an oral agreement, which, you know, I mean, how do you prove that? That everybody just says, I didn't say that. <laughs> so at least yeah. if you can write something down, it's better than nothing. You know, it, they're not always perfect and there's loopholes because you're not trained to think like attorneys. You know, we, we always think of the worst case scenario and then back into the what you really want to do. And that's just how we're trained because we've seen things go south, you know, and because we do litigation, kind of see the downfall of things not being written the right way. So mm -hmm. that's why our contracts keep being longer and longer and longer. <laughs> so. so going into that, where you're saying, you know, you kind of look at the worst case scenario of it, how can one protect their business then in case that the other party does breach the contract and what remedies are available to them under the law? So it, again, depends on what kind of situation you're in, but there are things called legal remedies and then equitable remedies. So legal remedies are monetary, right? So 
if somebody doesn't perform on a contract, you can say, well, if they don't perform, this is a good estimate of what my damages would be. And you can call it liquidated damages. And it, it gives a surefire kind of result. You know, you may have to go to court to, to enforce it, but at least the other party also knows that if they don't perform, then this party is entitled to X amount of money. That's one way to do it. Then there's something called equitable remedy. And you have to be in the right court to enforce it, but you could make that person do what it is that they promised. An example of this would be like, let's say a small business owner is trying to buy another business. Okay. Like another pizza shop, for example, and they sign a contract and whatever. And one fine day, the seller finds another buyer who's willing to give them 20,000 more. And he wants to breach the contract and say, oh, well, I don't want to sell this guy. I'm going to go to the other guy who's giving me 20,000 more. So what is our original buyer going to do, right? So either he can say, well, you breached the contract and you have to pay me liquidated damages, or I can take you to court and I can force you to sell it to me. So that's an equitable remedy that you can, you can actually force them to do something. So sometimes it's good to have both options available <laughs> in the contract. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, these are real examples. This stuff happens, you know. That the seller will yeah. renege on a deal because they found somebody better. And that's it's a common situation. I mean, yes. just just yep. how you pose it. And I'm gonna stretch a little bit more into your you know your years of experience here because I, I believe you've seen so much of it. Is and and I'm looking from the perspective now of like what people would call like a predatory contract, right? Mm -hmm. So do you have any like kind of examples of you know what you know a small business may be being taken advantage of in a predatory contract and kind of what lessons you know have you learned from from that example yeah i mean a predatory contract is again like one sided it's something where okay. it's blatantly unfair to a party if that were to happen right and i've seen it in a lease agreement i keep going back to that but there's a lot of examples in that realm so i've seen it where a landlord will enter into a lease with a tenant a tenant you know, let's say it's a five-year lease, but there's a tiny little clause hidden in there somewhere that says a landlord may terminate the lease at any time with 90 days notice. Well, that's horrible. If a, if, if a business owner puts in like quarter million dollars to, to renovate the space, start their business, buy equipment, get things going, marketing expenses, employment expenses, all this stuff. And a year or two in, the landlord says, oh, I found somebody who's going to pay me more rent. See you later. Here's your 90 days notice. You have to leave. That's horrible. You know, that 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 small business just lost all of their investment and they have to walk away. Like they just have to leave the premises. They can take their equipment, but what are they gonna do with it? <laughs> you know, I mean that's mm -hmm. that's like a horrible situation. I've seen contracts like that. I you know, I haven't seen I haven't actually seen a landlord enforce it, but if it's in there, you know, I mean it's it's scary, you know, that that, that could actually happen. So yeah, I mean, that yeah. example and the other one where if you're a manufacturer of goods and, and the other party says, well, we can cancel at any time, <laughs> same kind of result, right? What do you do with $200,000 worth of custom-made furniture or custom-made anything, you know? How do you recover from that? You know, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to look at these these one-sided deals and these termination provisions, you know, and make sure it's not, not in just one person's benefit. I mean, you could recraft those things to say, you know, that somebody like a landlord could terminate the lease if they could provide you with substantially similar space in the shopping center in a different unit, right? So if they want to terminate and they want to move you over, okay, but then you got to pay me expenses to move and for marketing costs and whatever, and you can negotiate something like that. So part of the, part of the, the crux of all this is to understand 
why the other party has that provision in there. Sometimes it's not about being so predatory, but they just want one thing, but they've kind of slid in this whole whole clause in there that's like over-encompassing. But maybe the landlord just wants flexibility in case they have a bigger tenant. And I've seen this happen. They just want flexibility in their shopping center to say, hey, would you be able to move if I get a bigger tenant who wants three spaces in a row and you happen to be part of it? Okay, I understand. So if I have to move, would you then re, you know, compensate me for the move, you know, expenses, blah, 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 and, and reduce my rent for six months? Something like that, right? So you can negotiate that. And now both parties are, are okay. So hmm. part of it is understanding what that clause is and figuring out a solution as to you know, what do both parties really want by this? What do they mean by this? And maybe we can craft it in a better way. Mm-hmm. And that's that that kind of leads into I was going to ask if did you have an example of like where it was a triumphant outcome for the business owner against, you know, like that situation where it might have been a little one sided, but it worked out in the the owner's favor. I'd have to think about that more often than not. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) And I think and that's that's to the point right there. Right. It's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't. You're looking at a very slim, yeah. <laughs> slim chance of it working out in your favor. I, and I again, did see one. I mean, there was one situation <laughs> where it was similar, where a landlord had drafted a clause about an option to purchase, and it was vague, and so you know the tenant couldn't enforce it. But eventually, the only reason it worked out is because the landlord didn't want to get stuck in prolonged litigation, and it's because the tenant took the chance and filed a lawsuit even though they weren't sure they were going to win, but it pushed the landlord into a corner and made them settle. So in that case, Mm -hmm. the tenant won, probably wouldn't have if it had gone to trial, but they won just because of the circumstances and the cost and the overbearing nature of the lawsuit that the landlord just said, okay, forget it. Let's just negotiate this and be done with it. So sometimes a little bit of pressure goes a long way too, but that's where the tenant has to take a leap of faith and hire an attorney and get something moving, you know? Mm -hmm. It just paints a picture that, you know, contracts aren't meant to be weapons. You know, they're not weaponized things meant to injure some party over the other. Really it's to protect everybody, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to just, just keep it clear. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just supposed to be on paper what you're thinking, you know, like whatever your thoughts are and your agreements are should be put on paper. That's all it is. Memorializing an agreement, you know. Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead and wind down from our conversation here. But there was one thing because you're such a great asset. You've accomplished so much. I wanted to throw this question in here and this is because our audience, I'm sure is, you know, many of them are very either new to business or they're just very young in their careers as well. So for those young people out there who are looking to get into law and business law, what sort of advice would you give to them? People are trying to get into the legal field? Yeah. And do what you do because you're obviously you're a huge value to business owners and, and, and the whole process. I think, you know, I grew up in a Obviously, I'm a minority and my my parents had this struggle and I feel like they didn't have all the assets growing up as far as they didn't have everything that they needed to be. I mean, they were successful, but they had to learn everything on their own. You know, like my dad would sit there at night and try to figure out QuickBooks and peck and, you know, (laughs) you know, because there was nobody to tell him how to do it better. And, you know, he carried out things and he, luckily he had a good, he did have an attorney, he had a CPA and they advised him on how to do things. But I feel like I have been lucky enough to to be in this position and and be involved with the US PAC and the C, CMPP program. And it's kind of my, 
I, I enjoy it. I, I want to help business owners succeed. Even my line of business is like that. You know, I mean, I've got lots of clients that are small business owners and they started with like one gas station. Now they're at number 26, you know, or one restaurant. And now they've grown to like a franchise. So it's, it's really fulfilling to see that people that, you know, on a whim or on, you know, a slight bit of hope and some money that they had put together took a chance and they live the American dream. You know, that's really what it's about is, is just to help people navigate and, and to maybe shed some light on the fact that it doesn't all have to be so scary. You know, when people hear contract and lawyers and they don't want anything to do with it, you know, <laughs> it, the first, first instinct is, uh, let's try to avoid this. They're just expensive or, or we don't understand or whatever. But in this day and age, I feel like there's enough attorneys that speak different languages also so that we can break that barrier, right? Like I have a lot of clients and I speak Gujarati, which is like an Indian dialect, but there are so many times when my clients speak pretty good English, but they're just more comfortable in Gujarati. And so we converse in Gujarati and they have a better understanding. I can't tell you how many times I'm in a deposition and you know the parties are talking and I can tell that the attorney asking the questions didn't understand what the witness meant. And it's not because they didn't speak English. It's just the way they said the words and the way they were understood, it's not what they meant to say. And so things are lost in translation. You know, I'm sure, you know, if you speak another language or you grew up in a family that speaks another language, you know, things are lost in translation. And it's, you know, it's not an unintentional, but it just happens. It, it's something is lost in that, you know, I would encourage on, on two sides. One is for business owners to go out and, and seek attorneys that speak their language. If it makes them more comfortable you know, find somebody who can speak your language and you should be able to at this point. There's enough of that first generation that has gone into the legal, legal field and your language should be covered, whatever it is. And then for the those of us that are, are your younger generation that's trying to get into these fields, you know, whatever you do, you're going to be successful at this point because your family's worked hard to get you where you are. And so think about giving back, you know, do something for the community that supported you and your family all these years and, and make it better for the next generation. Awesome. And I I love to end these interviews on that sort of inspirational note, mm -hmm. because through the course of the interview here, our podcast, we can definitely see how much value you bring and how much of an expert you are. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's those of us who are listening, who then feel like, you know what, I, I want to be able to, to provide that to my community, to like you said, to my own business owner, family members, you know, and, and, and to just take everything that you've you've put here, you've put such a personable human face on such a difficult, complex concept and really made it very relatable. So we really appreciate that. So to wrap up, where can business owners locate you and how can they get in touch with you in case they need help and resources for their small business? You can go to our website, uh, thetrustedlawyers.com. Um, I can give out our number as well. And we are doing free consultations through the CNPP program still. And the number is 678-502-7464. Or you can just send an email real quick to cnpp at the trusted lawyers. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chatel, for this wonderful conversation. It's good to listen to more stories of Asian Americans and minorities and learn how to navigate around business needs, especially for communities that lack access to support that they need. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. We hope that you can join us again next time at Navigating Business, a podcast brought to you by the U.S. Pan-Asian American Chamber of Commerce through the Community Navigator Pilot Program of the Small Business Administration. And also, Remember to check out our 2023 celebration event. That's America's largest and longest running 
business development conference convened by Pan-Asian Americans from June 6th to June 8th, please visit our website at celebrationconference.com. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in and check back in with you next time. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.